Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Nick Thomas with internalcustomer.com. I'd like to welcome you to the first podcast of internalcustomer.com. I'm joined today with Dr. Eric Brown. Today's podcast is part of a two-part series that we're doing for our inaugural podcasts to give you a sense of who we are, what the mission of internalcustomer.com is, and talk a little bit about what our long-term as well as our short-term objectives are. For those not familiar, internalcustomer.com was an endeavor that uh, Eric Brown and I started about three, four months ago to really bridge the gap between academia and industry. We, as faculty members at a uh, major university, found that there really wasn't a platform where faculty could share practical research that industry could benefit from, highlight research opportunities for collaborations, uh, as well as the potential for consultancies that might exist out there. If you're interested, again, the website is Internal Customer. That can be reached at www.internalcustomer.com. On the website, you'll find some biographies for Dr. Brown and I, as well as highlights of our research, both ongoing as well as past. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown, say a couple words. Hello, my name is Eric Brown, and as Nick said, I am a co-contributor to internalcustomer.com. And we'll start off with a little bit about me on this first part, and then the next part we will go into more about Dr. Nick Thomas. So Eric, why don't you start maybe by telling us a little bit about what your current job is, maybe a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go into some follow-up questions as needed. I am currently an assistant professor at Iowa State University in the Apparel, Events, and Hospitality Management Department. Specifically, I am part of the hospitality program, and I teach the leadership and management courses within our program. I do a a lot of different research related to the similar topics on specifically leadership, turnover, performance, and other HR areas. And on a personal side, I am married to my wife, Emily, and she and I have a daughter named Ava. So for those of the listeners, and hopefully we'll have at least one out there that listens to this, um, talk a little bit about what it means to be an assistant professor. That for, for those that aren't really familiar with collegiate academia, people think of college professors just as professor or a teacher or a lecturer, but maybe talk a little bit about what it means to be an assistant professor in the grand scheme of academia. Iowa State University is a research institution, and we're actually a land-grant institution. And so with that, we have a high focus on research in addition to the teaching and then also service. And so the majority of assistant professors here, including myself, have an assignment that is part research, part teaching, and then part service, with service being other work that you do for the university, the city, the state, the academy in general, or even the nation, just things you do outside of the university. From a teaching standpoint, I uh, teach two classes a semester, and from a research standpoint, we just try and get as many publications and high-quality high publications as well as grant proposals out trying to elicit some sort of external funding for our program. 
with it being the research institution, then also land grant, that's a big part of it is trying to trying to secure external funding, whether it be from a big federal agency all the way down to some sort of small nonprofit in Ames, Iowa, or within the state. And I think it's probably important to, to maybe mention at this point kind of the relationship that internal customer has uh, in, with us professionally. Uh, in, internalcustomer.com or, or IC, as we'll, we'll refer to it from now on, really isn't an endeavor that was created by Iowa State University. This is really something that Eric and I have done above and beyond our professional requirements at Iowa State. This has kind of become a pet project. And as you'll see when you visit internalcustomer.com, we have a blog. We're going to have the podcasts. We're both very active on social media. So you'll see internal customer having a presence on social media platforms like Twitter. It's also a place for us to highlight some of our projects that we're currently working on. Some of those might be under things that we're doing with Iowa State, but some of those projects are also things that we're doing externally. And and really what it's designed to do is one of the things that Eric and I, it's really important that we do is when we do work, whether it's in the classroom or we do research, we want this to be very practically focused. While we're academics, we want the products that we create to be very usable by industry. So you'll see a lot of topics, and we'll, we'll go into research a little bit later, but you'll see lots of topics that relate and are somewhat generalizable to lots of different industries out there. Where both Eric and I teach in hospitality programs, a lot of the, the research that we do is applicable to any organization in the service industry, whether that's finance and banking, whether that's healthcare, whether that's uh, other forms of, of retail. Uh, so this is, this is quite a, a large undertaking that we do. So Eric, so you mentioned that you're a assistant professor, and maybe for those that also don't know, what, what are some of the qualifications that someone needs to become an assistant professor? How did you get to where you are today? An assistant professor, at least at a research institution, will typically have a PhD. So for me, I have a PhD in hospitality management, which then qualifies me to be in this position. Other qualifications for an assistant professor here would be some sort of managerial experience within the hospitality industry, preferably some sort of teaching experience. The main point would be that PhD, and that kind of what distinguishes a assistant professor versus an, a lecturer here at Iowa State, whether or not you have that PhD. So at the end of the day, do you, do you consider yourself a, a teacher? Do you consider yourself an academic? Do you consider yourself a, a researcher or scientist? What, what do you, how do you kind of describe yourself for, for someone if you're just meeting them for the first time? Well, it really depends on what kind of situation I'm in. If it's more of a personal thing where I may not see this individual again, it does boil down to I do teach and I also research. But a lot of times it is nice to go a little bit further into it because I feel that people that are not in academia do not have a full understanding of all that we do. And so I would go into not only do I teach undergraduate students, but we also teach and supervise graduate students who are pursuing their master's and Ph.D., and in addition, there's a huge portion of our workload that is the research and then also the service. The teaching aspect is only about 40% of the job that I have. And so I go 
even further with the research and the service uh, because it is much larger portion. And we keep bringing up this idea of research and and the adage of there's kind of an ongoing joke within academia, the publish or perish. And while we say that kind of tongue in cheek, to, to some degree, that's a reality. A lot of what we do is research. Uh, I, I think I'm with you in the sense that in a very casual setting, I'm first and foremost a teacher. But so much of what I do as a part of my job, 40%, is actually conducting research. So maybe let's open up that box a little and talk about what it means to really do research. We've, we've heard the, the term uh, top-tier journals or high-quality journals a little bit. What, what does that mean? I think when, when a, a, a layman thinks about research, they think about a scientist with a, a white coat in a lab full of test tubes, and that's not really the type of research that we do. So maybe expand upon that a little bit. So the research that we do is related to people. So we're more of social scientists than the hard scientists. So yeah, I've, I'm not wearing a lab coat. Uh, more so I'm interacting with people, whether it be students, whether it be industry professionals, or just hospitality employees in general. The majority of the research, at least we've that I've done up to this point, has been with either hospitality students or with line-level employees within hotels. Uh, I guess building on my background a little bit, my professional experience has been in hotels primarily. So I have about eight or nine years of hotel experience with some of that being managerial. As far as the other parts of the hospitality industry, we have other people in our program that kind of focus in that area. And so with the research, I like to, just as Nick had mentioned, reach out to people that are entering the hospitality industry or hospitality graduates now and then as they enter the hospitality industry. Because a lot of the research I'm interested in is what will help the students. As Nick said, uh, primarily a teacher first and then the research and such comes after that. However, being at this research institution, it is important to have high quality research. But we have a lot of academic freedom in where that research can come from or who we are researching. And so it is easy to try and grab some of these research aspects and then roll them into the classroom. So if I am doing some sort of research on recent hospitality graduates as they enter the hospitality industry, yes, I'll take that, turn it into some sort of publication that'll go into a journal and be read by our peers. But at the same time, we would use that information in the classroom. And so we would be better able to address the questions students have as we're getting information from all of these other sources. So in terms of the final result, I mean, what is the deliverable from our research? Is this a, um, I know the answer to this, but maybe for the, for the audience that's listening, I mean, is it, is it a book? Is it a, uh, an article that we would read in the Wall Street Journal or in, in a publication like that? Or is, is this something that is in more of a, a journal in the sense that would really potentially be getting, gaining dust on a bookshelf somewhere? Right, and that's kind of the the motivation or the inspiration that led us to create the internalcustomer.com is um, a lot of the research we publish will go into these what we call peer-reviewed journals that will be read by other academics, but very unlikely that there would be too many people actually in the industry reading these journals. And so we read each other's work, and then we build on that, and we get a lot of additional, more rigorous outcomes from each of them. 
but in order to get them to where they need to be, so in the hands of industry professionals, that's where we kind of started this internalcustomer.com is we can write some blog posts, have these podcasts, share the research we're doing. Even if we don't necessarily write about an article that we're doing, we have a full list of all the recent publications and also our conference proceedings on there that if anyone wanted to, they could just scroll through, see the titles and say, well, this sounds interesting. Maybe I want some more and they can come to us. And I think that's where in academia, it's great. We get a lot of good results from many of these different research projects we take on. However, it is difficult to get that from, say, my desk to a hotel manager or a restaurant manager. However, I think through this site, we'll be able to do that a little bit better. In terms of the time frame, I think a lot of people have a misconception about how long these research projects take from start to finish. If, a let's say, a, a newspaper journalist wanted to write an article and get it for submission, that's something that could take as short a period of time as a couple hours, maybe a few days or weeks at the most. But some of the articles that we put out and we publish are six months to a year in the making. I mean, we're working on grant proposals, and and we'll get to this idea of grants shortly, but we're working on some proposals right now to do research that when we look at our timeline, won't be done for maybe eight months to a year. And and that's not really a product of the fact that we procrastinate. I, I think we're actually probably the exact opposite. We're highly productive. But I think people have this misconception about how long academic research truly takes. Right, yeah. And you you mentioned eight to ten months. But that's just taking the project from proposal to if it's in a grant, maybe even get an approval. That's not even necessarily conducting the research, getting the results, writing the results, and then getting them published. The published time can range anywhere from a few months if you have a, a journal that's very active and they're moving fast through it, or you have a high-quality product that they want to get out right away, to it could be up to two years or so before an article goes from submission to publication. And so a lot of the ideas that we have right now and we're writing grant proposals for, it's very likely that the publications from those won't be out until a year, two years in the future. And so the lag time between us coming up with the idea and figuring out what we want or what actually exists, and it even getting into other researchers' hands will take a while, much less taking that from researchers' hands and then translating it down and making it into hospitality professionals. So I think this really speaks volumes to why it's important for us to have lots of different irons in the fire simultaneously. Because essentially what happens is is that we submit a proposal to start research and we might not hear back with the green light to start that research for three, four, five months. And we don't want to be sitting around not being productive for those couple months. So there's a lot of overlap. So when you go to internalcustomer.com and you look at the website and you look at this ongoing research that we're doing, you see five, six, seven, maybe even a dozen different things. And really what that is, is that's a product of all the different irons we have in the fire simultaneously. The benefit of that is, is that when they come to fruition, 
we start to get rapid fire publications where there's something coming out every month, every other month, something like that. The downside to that is that, that it's a constant stream of work that has to be done. There really isn't a lull, whether it's spring break, whether it's summer break, whether it's the weekend, whether it's 10 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock in the morning, there's always something going on related to research. And this is all going on, of course, while balancing the load of teaching, while balancing the load of our personal lives, while balancing the load of other obligations we have at the university, whether that's development, whether that's serving on graduate student committees, whether that's faculty meetings, whether that's just a informal networking reception that faculty attend. The, the life of a professor, I think a lot of people have this misconception that it's very low key, it's laid back, you don't work a lot. And I think the reality is we're constantly working. Now, part of that is the fact that we are junior faculty at our university. So there's a, there's a pressure to produce, but there still is a very, very demanding workload associated with that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think a joke that I sometimes go along with with my family is that I work six hours a week simply because all I do is teach. And if all I do is teach, yeah, I'm in the classroom six hours a week. However, there's a lot of preparation for that, um, a lot of grading for that, and that's only 40% of my job. And so if you take that into consideration, yeah, there is a lot of things that need to be balanced. And as you said, a lot of things need to be at different points in the process as well. So we, right now we have a couple proposals out looking for some external funding. We're also writing some articles, and then we have a, at least one or two articles under review. Um, and so it's, there's many things in different parts of the process that helps keep things flowing. But as you said, there, there will be times where all we're doing it maybe is writing external grant proposals because the work we've done have all been gone under review and we're waiting for that to hear back. But then at the same time, there may be periods that we receive feedback from two or three journals at the same time, need to make some edits, get them back to the journal in a timely manner in order to continue the process of getting it published. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that the, the job is very difficult or requires more time than I expected but it is a it is a balancing act uh, having a one year old daughter. So it's not something that we want to spend 80, 90, 100 hours a week doing in order to be super productive. And I think that's where working together and then also pulling in some other people at times helps keep the process rolling, even if I'm not working, say, tonight or I'm not working tomorrow night. But at the same time, when I have downtime, it's easy to pull out my laptop and work for an hour or two or even 30 minutes to respond to some emails, make some corrections to a paper, send it back. It is fairly flexible with where I'm at. And so it's not, it's not something that I need to be in the office 40 hours a week, but it is something that I am able to work in the office, but I could also work at home. Or if I have, say, a family emergency, I could be working back in my hometown and so on. So we've, we've kind of mentioned a little bit so the audience is aware of some of the verbiage that we're continuing to use over and over again. One of the things that you mentioned is something called grants. That is a absolutely major part of what we do from our superiors. The, the, the kind of directive is to really be aggressive in our 
in our seeking of external funding through grants for the application for this, this money, and then when it does come in that we use it efficiently. Maybe talk a little bit about the, the grant process, what that is, why that's important for us as a university and as faculty at that university. As Nick said, the importance of writing a grant, that kind of comes from that land-grant institution. The land-grant institutions have these goals to seek external funding, bring it in, and make the best use of it that we possibly can. Bringing in external grants allows us to do better, greater work that we can't necessarily do with the resources we currently have. And so when we think of a project that we want to do, whether it be mentoring, social media, or any of the projects we're currently working on, we think of an idea and then we kind of seek out some sort of external funding that could be used to make it better. Sure, the social media, even the mentoring project, we could do with the resources we currently have, but the quality of it isn't going to be as good and the reach of that product is not going to be as good. That, as it could be if we had some sort of external funding that allowed us to reach out to more people, take more time to do that project, and so on. And so we see these grant proposals or grant requests for proposals that maybe they want something that will fit their goals. Maybe it's economic development or maybe it's discrimination in the workplace. And there's things that some of these agencies will want to put focus on. And so it's a matter of finding something that fits what we want to do and also fits their proposal. Sometimes that takes a little bit of modification to what we want to do in order to make it fit with them. Sometimes it is just a perfect fit that we had a project. We look, we find something, and it's perfect, and so we just need to put it together. But the grant process itself, we do write a, a grant proposal, um, which kind of includes the reasoning behind the pro proposal, the significance of the project if it's funded and completed, some of the methods we'll take, so how we'll conduct the research, and then also kind of our expected outcomes and then the deliverables, so what we will be able to give other people or back to the agency that ends up funding us. And so through the grant process, it kind of helps us think about things in a different way. So if Nick and I have an idea related to social media and we see a, a request for proposal, we may make it fit well with that, but at the same time, we're thinking more into it that, well... What if they come back with this response as to why they aren't going to fund it? And we're able to make a little bit stronger research arguments because we're, we're having someone else review it. And we're basically asking them to give us money in order to do this research. So we need it to be as sound as possible so that they are willing to do so. And that's a, that's a perfect summary. And I think what, the, what it really starts to highlight is how complex, how involved this process truly is from start to finish, that we have an idea generation board where we come up with ideas, and a lot of these ideas might not even come to fruition, or we might not even start writing proposals for, for years. And But it's this idea that we are constantly in a state of productivity, we are constantly in a state of development. We are constantly in a state of trying to get updated information about how to effectively manage human capital and the work environment out to industry. And, and that really is kind of what we created internal customer for. We created internalcustomer.com to really be the vehicle that helps disseminate all that information 
in such a way that it can be understood, that it can be easily interpreted, that people can offer feedback. We're always looking for feedback. We're always looking for people that want to collaborate. We're always looking for people to be guest bloggers on our website. Really, the sky's the limit in terms of collaboration. We're we're open to collaborations that we haven't even thought of yet, that, that there are people out there somewhere listening to this and maybe our conversations sparked an idea. And, and that's really what we want this to be. We want this to be a, a, a new way for us to reach out. And by no way are we trying to keep this secret. And if somebody wants to replicate a site like this and do something similar for their respective industry, we encourage it because we kind of believe in this idea of complete transparency that whatever we produce, we're happy to share with individuals because it really, at the end of the day, benefits us all through that process. So in the spirit of kind of the podcast, we really like to keep these under 30 minutes. This has been a wonderful introduction to some of the topics that we're going to continue to focus on, as well as a introduction to Eric. The next podcast that you're going to see pop up will be Eric talking to me, uh, a nice little introduction of who I am. We'll maybe expand upon some of the other topics related to what we do, the direction we want to go with the site. So as I mentioned before, and you'll hear me mention time and time again, and I know Eric will mention it as well, please visit us at eternalcustomer.com. There's an area there for you to provide feedback. You can comment on our blogs. You can download this podcast. You can offer feedback to the podcast. You can see some of the research that we're working on, as well as some of the things that we've done in the past. So I wish you all the best, and thanks for listening.